And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disney won't stop. Hope Molinex and Chris Honeywell have finished Clone Wars twice and Rebels once. Now they move on to Resistance and beyond. I'm Gene Gene, the MC Machine, and this is J-Guys and Jedi. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of Star Wars Resistance. In this episode... In desperate need of credits to fix a broken machine part, Kaz looks to recover two missing children and claim a sizable bounty. There will be herb patches, golden boys, and turtles! We're talking about the children from Tahar this week. How you doing, Chris? Good, how are you? I'm doing good, I'm doing good. I, uh, I got the new High Republic book. I'm looking forward to get the new High Republic comics tomorrow. So I'm just like really digging this High Republic train that we're on. Choo-choo. <laughs> getting, getting high on the High Republic. I really, it's it's the five-year-old in me. I really just want to make a stupid shirt that says like 420 Republic. And Jesus. it's so stupid. And I know it's stupid and it's lame, but I kind of want to do it. And I've been thinking about it for like two months now. And it's just the lamest thing in the world. It's a stupid joke and I like it. It makes me it makes me laugh. And have it just be like look so formal, like have like the High Republic symbol with like the higher like the Star Wars font, but it just is like for the 420 Republic, and that's it. It's so dumb, but I want it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain at all, actually. Just having a good day and enjoying my best life and went to the bookstore and got a book and I'm enjoying it. And now I'm talking with you and we're talking about resistance and an episode that I really like. So, yeah. Did you like this episode? Yeah, I think this might be, I think, the best episode so far. I like last week slightly better because I think it has more commentary, like social commentary. But this is a very close second because, you know, there's a lot about, like, refugees and genocide that it's talking about in this one. But presented in a very, like, you know, Star Wars-y way. So, well, you ready to get into it? I am. All right. (coughs) Oh, sorry. And it was really like, you know, like when you don't have like one good solid burp and they're just kind of like watery, just like meh, but they're still stuck there. So you got to get them out. That's what that was. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyway, here we go. The Children from Tahar is the sixth episode of Star Wars Resistance and it aired on November 4th, 2018. It was written by Paul Giacopo and it was directed by Saul Ruiz. Some extra information for you. The voice of Kel is Antonio Del Rio. His other works include freaking Kyle from She-Ra and the Princess of Power. Oh, that's the other thing I was doing. Uh, Megan has started watching She-Ra, so of course I had to re-binge the entire show. So I binged like seasons two through four over the weekend. So like I've been really watching. Like, so, of course, Kyle was one of the characters. So when I was watching Kel in this episode, I was like, it's Kyle. 
And I just kept hearing, just like, God, Kyle, blame everything on Kill. So I understand it, and anybody who watches Shira gets it too. Anyway, uh, Marvel Superhero Adventures, and he's the voice of Pit and Dark Pit in the Kid Icarus and Super Smash Brothers series. Uh, I, Ayla, Ayla is voiced by Nikki Suhu. Her other works include the Heather's TV series, The Resident, and one of my favorite rom-coms of all time, Stick It. I had no idea Heather's was a TV series. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was actually recent. It ran for like a couple seasons. Like it mm. was about thir- two, two, three years ago. Two, mm. three, maybe maybe yeah, four. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They brought it back for a TV series. So. Makes sense. In earlier versions, uh, in the earlier versions of their characters, Kel and Ayla were named Bo and Dopa, which is one and two in Hutties. Commander Pyre is voiced by Liam McIntyre. His other works include The Flash, Spartacus, and Jedi Fallen Order. There was a scene in earlier earlier drafts that was cut out where Kazuniku asked Orca and Flicks for, to help find the kids, which would have sent them into the marketplace. The food Kel and Ayla steal from the Ugnaught vendor is puffer pig bacon. Because, oh. And, the, and finally, the engineers of the Colossus, the Chelidae, were designed to be the indigenous sentient species of Castellon. They are amphibious but prefer to live above water and carry their belongings with them on their shells. The males have facial hair while the females do not, and this particular tribe or group all have similar nose rings. We got our turtle people! Turtle people. I love Finally. turtle people. Uh, you know who also lives above water and carries stuff on his back? Mm, Yoda had turtle head earlier. Oh. Oh. Uh. Oh home. God, my brain. Hurry home, Yoda. Whoa. My my brain just went in three different places, and I none of them are good. Of what turtle head means. No, don't. Google it. Nope. 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 What are you doing, alright, Yoda? Yes. Now, yes. <laughs> oh, you had to get home quickly, right? Better, yes. Yeah. Better. Well, I just wanted to let you know that I was reading one of my favorite things on the internet earlier, which is Am I the Asshole? And I came across this one question that got yes. me to... That got Answers, me to... yes. Yes. Actually, yes. They, they all are. Yes. Yes. Very much so. But I read this one, and it got me thinking about you, because you live out there. And the question was, am I the asshole for not allowing my sister to use my laundry machine when she washes her undergarments in it? The answer is yes. yes. But, but then I got to thinking, you live in a bog with no electricity. How do you wash your undergarments, and how nasty are they? Mm-hmm. Funny you ask after Turtlehead, yes. Oh, God, yeah. Mmm, brown crayon. Yes. Mm. One, Yoda. Undergarments Yoda rarely wears. Rarely. Mm. Usually for special occasions. Mmm. But, to wash. Mmm, Yoda has force electricity. Yes. Yes. Doesn't use that though. No, no. Boils, boils. 
spoils oh. for two days. Yes. Mm. In the swamp, rub soap fish on it. Yes. Oh, wait, a soap soap fish? So it yes. smells like fish? You startle soap fish. Yes. Make soapy secretion. Yes. Oh. Cleans your undies. Then yeah. Yoda berries in the bog for three weeks to ferment. Uh, uh, is that it? Then ready to go. Good uh, to go. Uh, I don't know why I asked. <laughs> Probably they are. But do you like hang them to dry or like just kind of shake no, them around? Oh, better damn, better. That's that's true for that's true for you. You do need to be moisturized. Moist is better. Yeah, that that is very true for you. Moist. You are a very very moist man. Moist. Moist. Very moist. 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 <laughs> Do it. All right, Yoda. Well, thank you for that insight into your life. And we're just going to just scooch you on your way with your little... Squish it away. Little pet turtle. Ugh. He knows that that's not like soap that they're squirting on that underwear, right? Uh, I'm not going to tell him if you don't want to tell him. You know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss, huh? He wonders why the fish are all hanging around in the water outside his place. He's probably just like, oh, wow, easy fishing. He just picks them up and eats them. Oh, ugh. Anyway, act anyway, one. Well, yeah, moving on. Ugh, ugh, ugh. All right, act one. Act one. We open with Tam and Niku installing a very important part into a ship that's super duper delicate and costs a lot of money. And they're being very careful and professional. And Kaz kicks in the door going, I want to help. And they really do need three people for this job. But since Kaz is clearly learning on the fly, Tam is understandably a bit nervous about this entire thing. But all Kaz has to do is turn a bolt. It's rocket science, as they are working on spaceships. So Tam agrees and coaxes Kaz through how to do it, except for the very one basic step of righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. So in Kaz's faction, he cracks the machine part. He immediately panics as Tam loses it because he can't just get a new one. It's a very rare part, and it's stupid expensive, like 20,000 credits or something. So she runs him out of the mechanics area. So Kaz drags himself to Aunt Z, and insert here, obligatory Aunt Z is the best character of Resistance here, right here. He can't even afford a glass of water on a water planet, so Kaz is super poor. Luckily, best boy Niku is there to help. He wants to make sure that Kaz is super hydrated, because it's super important since Kaz is a being who needs hydration. Now, listeners, everyone pause the episode and take a drink of water right now because hydration or dehydration. I'm going to take a drink with you. Here you go, right? Mm. Mm. Very good. It's always good to drink water, guys. Also, remember to take your meds. This is your weekly reminder to take your meds today. Anyway, Kaz is bummed about breaking Tam's thingy and has no way to get another one. That is until 
his superpower is apparently stupid dumb luck because he just so happens to overhear a goat man and a Rodian talking about a $20,000 credit bounty on a couple of kids who have apparently run away. And Kaz is like, I know this story. With a bounty that high on kids, then the family must be important and rich. And he pauses and says, I wonder if my rich ass dad put a bounty on me. The answer is no, Kaz, he hasn't. And Kaz looks closer at the image and notices that the boy has a very specific symbol on his armband. And Kaz is like, Niku, I have a good and stupid idea. Let's be bounty hunters and we'll find those kids. What could possibly go wrong? And Niku says, Kaz, that is laughable because you are not a bounty hunter. I have seen bounty hunters, which is a piece of my past that no one has ever dove into, and therefore no one will ever know the truth of the things I know. And Kaz is like, I am absolutely a bounty hunter for 20,000 credits. It's like a Klondike bar. I am going to be so stupid, but I'm going to get this. What could go wrong? And Niku turns and stares at the screen like he's on the office. And he says, in this moment, I knew that everything would in fact go wrong. Out in the market, we meet Kel and Ayla. I always want to call her Isla, but it's Ayla. <laughs> so if I call her Isla, I'm sorry. Um, the two kids from the bounty who somehow made it to the Colossus. And they pretty much are just Aladdin-ing. Aladdin-ing it as they swipe puffer pig bacon from the Ugnot salesman. And what they don't count on, that the Ugnot has a really, really, really good nose on him. So he's on the case for the missing puffer pig bacon. And he quickly tracks them down, but loses them when they run into poor Bozel Gruel, the Gork salesman, who once again gets his stand ravished and partially destroyed in shenanigans. Hashtag, let Bozel Gruel have a very nice day 2021. Meanwhile, Niku and Kaz are in the market looking for the kids. And Kaz says, hey, maybe we'll be lucky and run into them. And sure enough, Kaz's dumbass superpower is sheer dumb luck because Kel and Ayla literally smack them face first and Ayla trips on BB-8 and injures herself. Kaz doesn't recognize, you know, the people from the very distinct picture he saw, er saw earlier, but he sure as hell recognizes that super obscure symbol on Kel's armband. And Kel tries to help his sister away, but Kaz catches up saying that they don't want to hurt them. And Kel shoves Kaz back, losing that piece of his armband. And by the time Kaz recovers from falling over, the kids are gone. And Kaz is like, we need a, more eyes on this, but we need it from people we can trust. And Niku goes, oh Kaz, I'm about to introduce you to the best characters in the entire show. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> what do you think of that one? I mean, how bad can it be with Goat Guy in it? Oh, I know you love the Goat Guys. You really do. Um, Let's see. Kaz just has no sense of guilt. <laughs> I, I Responsibility. Think... He just, it, once, like, he goofs up, he feels bad, like, in that second. And as soon as he walks away, he's just like, bump it, dump it, dump it, dump so, like, you know... self-centered again thought about that a lot um about whether or not it's a character flaw or it's just something that's just not on his radar like I, i've thought about that a lot because well, he's, he's I, I young was... and up his and privileged and up his butt but it's just amazing how fast he just like <laughs> once he's out of there he's just like 
you know, and he's in the once he's in the bar two minutes later, he's feeling sorry for himself, you know. Mm-hmm. But I because I was um, I was rereading some of my early resistance posts, which were some of the very first thing I wrote o- over my web- website was I was reviewing episodes of resistance. And I had written a note about how Kaz needed to apologize to his team. Because this was, I think, for last week's episode, I think it was. Um, and I was like, you know, he's doing, like, he's using Niku a lot. And he's in the process, like, damaging Tam's livelihood. I'm like, he needs to apologize. And I don't think he apologized as much in the single, in the early episodes, really, at all. I don't, no, I this, this is the messy, but, messy Star Wars you like. <laughs> you it know? is the messy Star Wars. And I think that's why it's so much part of his character journey. Because we, we talked about episode one, his character flaw is not knowing how to take accountability for his own actions. And then we get to the season one finale and Kaz Le- and uh, Tam leaves because of Kaz's actions, which is part of his character journey of season two is taking accountability. So I, I do think that whole like him being just like good to do and like moving on so quickly is part of that. Sure. But I think some of it is also just the nature of this show. Like it is a younger audience show. So you can't have these like things where like yeah, like Ahsoka, no. like Ahsoka for twenty two minutes would feel guilt for getting her men killed and it would be part right, of that's, it, like her that's art. What, that's what we're used to. We're used to he like yeah. we're used to the a character being in the bar afterwards going like, Man, I'm a fuck up, you know? Yeah. Why do I, why do I keep fucking up and stuff? And he's just like, Oh man, why don't I have any money? <laughs> well, I, I think so much of it is like Kaz is a fixer because it wasn't like it wasn't just like woe is me I don't have money it was I don't have money to help Tam and he because he recognized his he like it was his fault that he messed up the thing of Tam and so it was he it was a woe is me I don't have money to help people and so I think it's that's that's kind of I, I lost my train of thought what were we saying <laughs> what was I saying oh no um ah Fuck. No, yes. I, I just saw it as him feeling <clears throat> more sorry for himself because he wanted something to drink that. in that moment. You know? I don't think it's him feeling so. I don't see it as him feeling sorry for himself. I think it's him just still because he's clearly uh, budgeting because he tells Tam like oh, I've been saving up and Tam was like that's not enough. And so I was like, oh, Cass is learning how to budget. Good for you. I almost noted it. I was like, he's learning to budget. <laughs> Good for you, bro. So I think it's still just so much of a. Uh, I, well, yeah, but you can also you, you also can't like trust stuff that he says around around Tam because he also like gets like boasty and stuff is like, hey, I'm saving up money. You know, he has like it wasn't boasty. It was he was running from his life, panicking because Tam was chunking things that, at his that head. too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't I don't think like, you know, in a panic, you know, you don't boast in a panic. I think that I think that was honest. Tam, no, you did, right he could say anything too in a panic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't. I don't think it was. I, I don't take it that way. So I disagree. But go on with your notes. Um, I'm gonna call the kids the Disney waves. And they remind they remind me of the Ewok adventure. They even have like sort of matching suits and like she has the same sort of braided hair. The other kids were sort of golden haired little white kids, but they have the same. They they have a, a similar energy. What the hell is a waif? The little skinny, scrawny ur- urchin is another oh, okay. another word. They're 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 more urchiny than waifs. They're like waifs, 
probably would be a little older usually, but a waif is usually somebody who's kind of gaunt and, mm. and, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's what I thought. And then you went on to describe Ewok adventures, which I wasn't, which I haven't seen. And I was like, is there a species or something called the waifs and Ewoks that I'm not aware yeah, no, of? No, urchins, no, I know, urchins I know what you're talking word. about now. They're probably, yeah. they're probably more like they're space urchins, not sea yeah. urchins. Well, they're refugees. Although they're space sea urchins now. Yeah, I mean, they're refugees. Oh, maybe I'll call them the sea urchins. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's about all I... It, th- this part one was only like five and a half minutes long or something like that. Yeah, it really was. Um, so my... I only really have two notes, which is... The first one is the Ugnot, who is, you know, kind of a pig-like race, is selling puffer pig bacon. And I have some ethical questions about this. <laughs> well, I mean, they uh, clearly in Star Wars, they eat at anything, including porgs. So he says that he'll eat the bacon himself. And I was like, I have ethics questions. Is this like, like Disney where like Pluto and Goofy are both dogs? But I don't, I, I don't think puffer pig, pu- well, puffer pigs aren't Ugnots. Ugnots yeah. are kind of pig-like, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean anything, you know? Like, I mean, as far as, you, you know, we go, there's animals we eat that have four, four appendages and fur on their body and, uh, like us or hair on their body, like us, it's cl- close. That's as close to, as a puffer pig to a Ugnot. Puffer pig bacon's probably pretty cool. You probably throw it in and it, and it puffs up when you cook it. I was, uh, cause I was looking at the puffer pigs, um, from rebels again, like the ones that Lando had. And I was looking at the puffer pig bacon, which is blue. And I was like, under that tan, like, Skin, they're blue, like blue muscly, and I was like, "You, but cool." <laughs> well, then, uh, hey, that makes that makes uh, maybe in Star Wars, there's some biological like genetic thing that's blue. That's that's you got blue milk, blue yeah. muscle musculature. You yeah. got blue blue people. Two sets of lots of blue people because you have Pantorans and Chess. So. Yeah. But I know I just had some ethics questions about that. Well, um, I mean, it's just any I would imagine. Yeah. It, oh, well, I you see, when I saw that, I'm like, well, I mean, there's they're obviously carnivores in the Star Wars universe. I did not make the uh, connection between Ugnaught and pigs. <laughs> but um, human human. I mean, we're close enough to pigs. To say that us I thought eating, you were about to say something about like, humans eating humans. <laughs> No, I'm saying pigs are close enough to humans, like as far as a puffer pig is to a nugnot, and we we eat. I I was wearing my my belt the other day at work that said I love bacon on it. I honestly thought you were about to say, well, humans eat humans. Humans do eat humans, but it's it's on the cases. it's on the fringes. Come on, That's I don't. We haven't really. We I don't think we've ever run into any space cannibalism in star wars that i can think of i can think of one example and no 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 wait they didn't eat them though they just killed them never mind i can't think of an example but i'm sure it's yeah there. i yeah it's gotta happen somewhere there's enough races too that like somebody has got to have eaten somebody at some point but you know yeah. it's just statistical reality of the ugh. universe ugh ugh Anyway, 
Um, Millie and other no frack one is it, it's one of my favorite parts of Niku's character, and he does this the entire show, but he just drops like these really juicy bits of information about his past, but he never dives into it. They don't come back to it ever again. <laughs> but is and it's just one of those things of like, Nico is a really interesting person, but we know nothing about him. <laughs> Here's the thing is, it's hard to say if he's dropping, well, he's, I mean, he's obviously, it's, you know, it's stuff that happened to him in his past, but it's hard to tell unless he's going to like refer to his family or his home world or something as to whether, you know, I mean, when he says, oh, I could, you know, I've seen bounty hunters in the past. He's on he's on a place where, you know, everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything on the edges is coming through. So he probably saw a little bit of everything. Not, you know, now who are those people? They're bounty hunters that he saw them getting off their ship all scary and stuff. So it's hard to it's hard to tell how much like the most I think we got from Niku is in the the later part when he was wishing that he had a, a shell, too. And I was like, okay, so he's he's like, you know, maybe he's saying he's an, you know, maybe he's an amphibian too. You know, he's an amphibious species, also, you know. But but yeah, like like that's the logical thing. It's just like he probably has run into bounty hunters just on the Colossus and stuff. But I like the first time I heard that, I was like, well, that's because he kind you of see, looks- he seems free of trauma. You know what I mean? He seems free of it. Like he seems free of like having his village wiped out or a refugee of war or something, you know, it almost seems like he, he like sort of stumbled in there as an intern from somewhere and then just was like, I will work here. This is the first place I, I went. I will work here. Yeah. But like, it's just the way it's presented. It like invokes, like it makes you wonder if there's something more to Nico's stories. And because he does that all the time. He's constantly dropping, like, pieces of just, like, this, like, dark, mysterious past that they never go into. I actually question Niku's age a lot. Because on the, on the surface, I wonder, you know, like, he seems like he's, like, Tam or, or Kaz's age. But every once in a while here and there, I wonder if he's actually older. And it's just so hard yeah, to tell Yeah, he could be a middle-aged man for all we know. I, 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 cause if I had to put it at human years to it, I would almost say like early twenties, like, or kind of like Seuss in Gravity Falls, you know, like he has that kind of like, you're not quite sure if he's like mid or late twenties, he could be a teenager. He has that kind of Seuss quality to him. Um, you should go listen to Hope Makes First Watch Cartoons or other podcasts so you'll understand what we're talking about if you don't know. But like, and, and I think that's what's really interesting about Niku. Um, and I, I just like that. I like when they do that with his characters. Because on one hand, it's like really maddening because I want that story. But on the other hand, it's like what makes Niku so much fun is he he's so open and he's so like everything is on his sleeve. But we don't know anything about him. <laughs> I think that's a really fascinating way to write that kind of character because there's actually people who thought he was the spy um, for a good chunk of season one because he just would just drop these kind of dark nuggets and like mm-hmm. just leave them there. But he because he's so Niku. Not where they not where they were going with this show. I don't think it would be a that would be a that I mean that would well, that be a was... crazy that would be a crazy twist in it and it might be great but i just don't see like i i just i well, wouldn't have been buying into that theory we we know this now but at the time like you know when you have the show like six episode in and we know we were supposed to follow this red herring that there was a first order spy like i actually thought for a while tora was the spy like that was one of my earliest predictions uh that it was tora 
Um, and that was because she was a spy um, out of wanting to help her father. Um, and so she was spying out of love. Um, that was one of my early predictions. But, like, when six episodes in at this time, so, like, he was the first one to be like, yeah, bounty hunters, I hung out yeah. with them. Like, it, no, you know, I, I, I mean, I just don't see, like... Well, I'm just saying that just I'm not Disney saying you had that. to follow. I was just saying like people had discussed that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying if if at the time I would have been like, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I just I would have been like, I, if I was writing, if I was a showrunner and I was allowed to do it, that would be a great. That would be you could that could be really 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 interesting. But I just don't. I, I it would be that like it would be yeah that would be damaging to little kids <laughs> yeah i mean and you've said that before but like you know so many people thought that this show was going to be like clone wars or rebels and that would be a clone wars or rebels twist and it just it isn't it isn't that kind of show this this show doubles down on the like little kidness too by introducing these characters if i were the age of these characters or a little younger watching this show immediately this show would be about them to me i would be oh my god the the idea of being like a little kid living in the bowels of the space water world gas station, I would have been like all over it. Um, that's all I have for Act One. All right. All right, Act Two. I got more notes on Act Two for sure. Yeah, and I think most of my notes are on Act Two as well. So, all right, Act Two. I lost my spot. Where am I? There I am. Act two! Niku takes Kaz into the bowels of the Colossus. It's the engineering level of the platform. And Kaz is like, I did not know the Colossus could actually get more disgusting. And they head down the stairs and we meet the Chelidae, who are amazing. Niku explains And I never, never, ever will remember their name because they're just the turtle people. I th- yeah, I think Nika calls them the shell folk, and and so oh, okay, I, they got yeah, they got, sort of got shell in their name, yeah. Yeah, actually, Chelidae is a real world uh, turtle in Australia. I'm, go- I'm gonna call them the tippies. The tippies, but yeah, um, Chelidae is one of the three living families of turtles toward toward a suborder Plerodira. They're commonly found on the American-sided neck turtles, and their family is distributed in Australia, New Guinea, and parts of Indonesia, and throughout most of South America. So they're based on real-world turtles. Anyway, uh, Nick explains that they're the maintenance worker of the station, which keeps it held together and makes the whole thing run. And Niku asks them if they could keep an eye out for the two kids. And Kaz panics when he thinks that one of them is dead. And Niku explains, No, Kaz. For plot reasons, later in this episode, you should know that they can slow down their life systems and make their heart hurts and make their hearts practically stop. Isn't that neat for plot? And as they're heading out, the door opens, and there is 4D, the secretly amazing badass droid of Captain Doza, who has been looking for Kaz. So they head on up to Doza Tower. Kaz is all nervous as Doza spins his chair around, and he's like, "Do not be afraid." I am one of the best fathers in all of Star Wars after Kanan Jarrus. And if you play your cards right, perhaps I'll adopt you too. So, 
I hear you're Yeager's new mechanic, and hopefully not the boyfriend of my underage daughter from last week, or else I'll have to stab you in the temple. Anyway, let's get to business. There's some kids missing, and I heard you were with them. And Cass hands over the piece from Kel's bracelet, and asks why they're on the run. And Dosa's like, you're a weird bounty hunter for asking morality questions. So the gig is up, and Kaz says that he's not a mercenary. He just wants to help the kids get home. And Dozo's like, that's real nice of you. Okay, 40. 40, uh, kick them out. So Niku and Gat, Kaz get kicked out the door. Then Doza calls the always underused and underrated and deserves way more screen time, Captain Phasma of Tarth. And he asks why the First Order would place such a huge bounty on two children. And Phasma of Tarth is like... Um, they're from, yeah, they're from high-ranking families or whatever, and certainly not anything shady we're doing out in the Unknown Regions. And Dosa's Dosa's got some questions, because something's not adding up about her story. You see, he's a military man, and we find out later an ex-imperial. So this piece of Kel's bracelet is, like, way too creative to be, you know, first ordery. And Dosa lays out that... If she's going to send in her goons for the kids, they have to at least abide by the laws of the station. And she's like, yeah, bro, whatever, and hangs up. We flash to the kids, and Ayla thinks her leg is broken. And she's terribly homesick, and she wants to go back to their home of Tahar. But Kel says there's nothing for them there anymore. And she says there's no place safe from him. Bum, bum, bum. And then a dark shadow appears above the children, and they gasp. Another bum bum bum. Back in the hangar, Tam is still upset over the compensator thing that Kaz broke. Lucky for Kaz, you could The overcompensator. <laughs> yes. Niku hurries in with some really great news. The turtle folk were actually the shadow over the kids, and they have them! But Tam isn't letting Kaz off the hook and makes him take the overcompensator with them so he can get the specs on how to fix it. Down in maintenance, though, there's Kel and Ayla safe and sound with the turtle folk. But Kel wants nothing to do with Kaz because he just wants money. And Kaz explains that they just want them to be back home safe with their family. And the money just lets Kaz eat some cake too. But Ayla explains that they're not lost. They ran away. But she's not really doing really good either because they think her leg's broken and she's starting to run a fever. And Kel explains that their parents and their village had been wiped out by the First Order. More specifically, it was Kylo Ren. And Niku asks, what's a Kylo Ren? Which is my favorite part of this episode. And they say that he had a laser sword like the old Jedi, but red, and he was all in black. And Kaz realizes the First Order, which means that he can't hand these kids over anymore. And he vows to protect them. So Kaz, Niku, and Kel head out to get some medicine. But in the marketplace, they're in a bit of a bind because they can't take Ella, uh, Ayla to a medical station because the kids would be identified. Luckily, Kel is apparently really good at medicinal plants. And Niku pays for it, which shocks Kaz. And Niku's like, dude, it's an emergency. Money should be used. And Kaz realized that he has had really shitty rich friends up to this point. But oh no, there's a threatening voice behind them, and it's old Goldie himself making his way to the show to be a threat for the rest of the series. We are introduced to actual Golden Boy, K-1. 
Commander Pyre. Bum, bum, bum. And what'd you think of Act 2, Chris? I'm always sketchy about uh, uh, medicinal herbs fixing a broken bone, but yeah, that's another change. Like, um, we're talking about like, like Kaz's personality flaws aren't as, as annoying. They're not as annoyingly presented anymore. And like, how many people have we seen fall over BB-8? I mean, Kaz falls over BB-8 like flat on his back, like like in a like that would put me up for weeks. And uh, but somebody somebody trips over BB-8 and breaks her leg in this one. So that's a that's that was a little break in uh, in the in the tone of everything. The only thing I can think is like maybe it's a hairline fracture, like something that something like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because she doesn't like, seem to be. It, it's not like like you don't see it broken or a, a yeah. screw or anything like that. And she's a kid, you know. Kids yeah. have like kind of flexible bones. Like yeah. I, I cracked an elbow just from like falling off a foot high table. Like I just kind of landed on just the right way, and I cracked. I had a hairline fracture in like an elbow when I was a child. So. Yeah, I, I always thought that was a weird because because she immediately gets up and starts running on it, but she's limping. So I always just thought like must have been like a hairline or something. And I like the going to the principal scene in this. It, it reminds me of last time when I was saying Kaz's best cover is just being completely naive, and in this one, like when when he gets booted out, you know, he's you know there, he there's no suspicion on him. He's you know if anything he's like well he's a, just a good kid. You know, yeah. so it's it, his doofiness works to his ad, advantage there. It's weird, though. There was a the way he when he showed him the the piece of wood with the symbol on it, he said, I, I actually accidentally took this from them instead of like they dropped it. You know, he, it was this. kind of a accident because he was like he was pulling on Kel's arm and his hand just kind of pulled it off of Kel. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just a weird way of it was just a, I just thought that was a strange way of putting it. It was weird. Um, we're back in the vents. Back in the vents. I have forward. that, but I, I think I have that in Act 3. Um, yeah, I have that in Act 3. The mention of Kylo Ren is the first time we've had any even tangential mention of anything to do really with the force yeah or jedi or sith or anything in the show although the turtle people sort of are forcey creatures but we don't know that yet they're just they're just cool turtle, turtle people now um and my only other note is niku the kami what? when when he pays for the medicine and and Kaz is just like floored. He's just like, what, you paid for that too? You know, and Niku's like, somebody needed something and I have I have the money for him. So I should, you know, if I have the money and they need something, I should provide it for them. Yeah. Like look I, at Niku, look at Niku the little commie there and I actually know that too, because I, I think face commie. That's one of my favorite like things about Niku's character as well. I, th I think that's actually like, I, I, I understand that you're making a joke, but like to me, like that's a really good defining moment of Niku. Well, yeah, um, he does it. He's not even thinking about like, it, but it, that's the thing is it's a huge deal. It's a huge moment for Kaz and it's yeah. just like day to day life for Niku, you know? Absolutely. And like, cause that's the second time. And I, and I think that's another step of like kind of Kaz getting acclimated because I, I wrote the joke like he was like, man, my friends must have sucked. But I, I think that's all, like there's some truth to that because we see his reaction because 
Which says a lot because he comes from this really rich family, and you know, put it in comparison yeah, to our no, real world. Like we, yeah, we no, he's about really this. he's really that selfish, but at the same time, he's not a bad person. So well, that's he's... not what I was saying. Um, what I was saying is compared to this our real world, it's something that we've discussed before about how the most giving people tend to be the poor people, while the most people yeah. who like withhold everything are the people in like the upper classes and stuff. Well, and be... and Niku, as you know, we were talking about how he kind of represents the everyday people. And yeah. he he is the voice of the Colossus, well, and so it's it's really that kind of setting up of like how much this. It, it's a really good setup for season two. Um, I I know you haven't seen the final episode, so I can't go too much into detail, but it's kind of like that groundwork that gets us to like the season two finale, and it's pulling Kaz into that community. Well, I I, I wasn't saying that you were saying that, but like <laughs> you know, Kaz is just so. That's what poor people poor people are easy will give stuff away more because they know they've been on that they've been on the end of it they know what it's like yeah. to need something and and you know people people who are very privileged just don't understand that somebody's could be you know Kaz is just starting to understand what being hungry is like so you know they just they they don't think about it they think you know that people just go and take care of themselves because that's what <laughs> they've done all you know so it's you know i mean not that there are you know people who are privileged who are just jerks about it but uh, for the most part it's just sort of like and that's that's why you're seeing kaz like having such a you know strong moment you know aha moment with it that uh that that it's something you know that most people actually, you know, understand more, but yeah, it, it explains a lot about, it makes a lot of sense with his character up to this point. Yeah. Um, and I, I like this on, on the point of Kaz's character. Um, I, I like that moment when the, when he realizes like it was the first order that's coming up after these kids, he drops the whole bounty hunting thing. He's like, that money doesn't matter anymore. I'll figure out things with him later. Cause he's like, I need to protect these children. Yeah. No, uh, the, the thing about it is I like, you could understand right from the beginning that the bounty hunting thing was, he was onto it, but you, you knew the second that he found out that like, you know, the kids would be going to the first order that he wasn't going to go for it. You know, there yeah. wasn't that you did. We didn't have to go through the trite and and cheesy moment where he's just like has to make the moral decision whether to uh, save the kids or not. You know, it was basically all he had to do was hear their story to, and he was immediately good to go. I kind of wish there was a moment where Niku's like, but I thought we were bounty hunters, and Kaz just being like, ah, oh, my heart wasn't really in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been funny. Yeah, and well, we Niku, hadn't collected a bounty yet, so we aren't officially bounty hunters. And Niku, actually, that would have been Niku's response when he was like, I guess that's true, because we have not actually collected a bounty, so therefore we're not actually bounty hunters. <laughs> like, I could see that in exchange. Well, I guess not, because if your bounty hunter is a hunter, so I guess you just have to look for a bounty. That's true. If you're looking I, for toilet, if you're looking for toilet paper, you're technically a bounty hunter. Because who was that? Uh, <laughs> Turtle head. <laughs> you got me with that one. Um. <laughs> That's an old Star Wars joke. That's been, of course, around since Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. <laughs> 
what I was going to say, because we have that really shitty guy in season one of The Mandalorian who is doing his first bounty. What was his name? Like Toro or something? And then he shot Finnick, and Finnick was just like, fuck off, bitch. (laughs) And then Ming-Na came back, and she was glorious than ever. Ugh. Ugh. I love Ming-Na Gwen. Anyway. Uh, My next note... Oh, was that all your notes? Yes, it was. Okay. Um, my next note is I really just love the turtle folk. Um, they're such a cool design. They're such a cool idea. Um, and I, yeah, I agree. They are kind of like a forcey element of the show, but like, that's very like natural and sentient and stuff. Um, and, and again, like the, the, to me, this is a very strong Niku episode, um, because it shows why Niku is again, just so great. Cause he just accepts everyone. And I love hearing him like being like the turtle folk are the heroes of the platform. And he's probably the only person who is just like, you guys are the heroes. Bravo. Kind of like buddy the elf when he's just like, this is the world's best cup of coffee. Good for you. But I think that's something that they probably really appreciate because they are down in the bowels of the ship. And I'm sure like aunt Z doesn't come down and just being like, thanks turtle folk. And so I, I really like that for Niku's character as well, because he's just so kind and so accepting for everybody. And he just is. And and I, I think people can just learn so much from Niku, just as being like, people are people and just taking them in and just like, you know, we, we know that he knows bad people from good people. Um, and he's very well aware of that, but in his own Niku way. I agree with that. Hope I just had a brain fart. Hmm. I want to see this in the Star Wars. Any Star Wars. Why don't we ever see any shitty spaceship parkers? Why don't we, like in the background, see like a spaceship? I was just putting I was putting <gasps> a pen down on the table and just had this thought. I'm sorry to interrupt this with this. Oh, like somebody who tangent. takes up like three like parking spaces, like parking? Where they, they like they, they they like cruise down to land you know, the ships always cruise down and they land real cool and they just go boom right where they wanna go and but have a ship like come down and it's right at the edge of the cliff and then it just sort of lifts up it keeps edging over a little more and like (laughs) maybe it slides a little bit because they don't have it like completely off the ground it's still sort of slipping around and they bump off something and they just they can fly fine but they just can't land for shit that would make sense with all the the spaceships flying around in star wars why don't we see some more of that little and Bender benders and stuff like that. I want that's just what I want in my background. If there's any creators listening out there, just put some shitty parkers in the background. I would enjoy that. I guess we kind of had that with Trace a little bit because she left the parking the air brake on. In yeah, hyperspace. but that was like a that was like comedy moment of like, oh, I don't know how to fly. The parking brakes on. I'm just talking about your day to day. Like you're watching somebody try to do a three point you know <laughs> parking parking at the grocery store and they're just sitting there doofing around like taking forever to do it that's what i want to see somebody just your just not a dramatic mode just in the background somebody just inching it around trying to get it right before la- and then like bump landing it down a little too hard or something that would be i guess you kind of have that in the mandalorian because uh he was trying to land hard but they he didn't have like any brakes or anything and then yeah, they but, landed well, hard and then they fell into yeah, the that, ocean that, that's that's drama dealing with a with a thing i'm just talking about yeah going, i know what you're talking about Joe going gonna... to the store always hits the shopping cart you know yeah yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, no, no. I'm thinking about that now. Um, yeah. It would be funny. 
I actually, the reason I was giggling while you were explaining it is I thought of that scene in Galaxy Quest because the actors are having to pretend to play their parts. And the first time that the pilot guy took the ship out, he just kind of like starts scraping it along the space station because he doesn't know how to fly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought about as you were explaining it. He just pushed Aww. random buttons on the set. Yeah. They're making the, the sequel is in pre-production. I still want to see the documentary that came out, I think, last year it was. Um, I heard that it. was really good. I heard, I it, heard was it was really, really good. good too. Yeah, I heard it was really good, too. Uh, I got to blow my nose. I am all sniffly. Gosh. Holy cow. <sighs> Had a little bit of... Wait, oh, my God. Well, I was going to say I'm editing this one, but, boy, there was a... Wow. You got some Skype distortion on the. I might use huh. that. I might put that in my sound effects library. That's a unique sound. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm glad I could help. No, no, it's just the temperature just dropped today, and it's so dry. So all day, I like my nose has just been running. All right. <clears throat> uh, where am I? Oh, my next note is. It's really because, like I was saying, like how like people were trying to figure out who the spies and stuff like that. Like now knowing the show and having seen the show, like we know Doza is not the First Order spy, but man, are they writing him to be that red herring? And it's so obvious now that they are writing these early episodes like you should be thinking about Doza. If and Do- Doza would have so like so much a different... like all in. He would have such a different attitude with them, though, if he was a spy, because he was definitely he's definitely like playing hardball. But he's he's definitely playing with them. out of like he... he's playing with them out of survival. He has to deal with them just like any other sketchy elements. And he doesn't you know, nobody knows what the the extent of the first order anyway. But like when we see him, you know, as a character who's just watching him for like in in the show they might think that but from what we get to see of him we see him you know he's he's having little power power plays and stuff with him and not not even power plays he's it's more like you know they're trying to get in on the station and he's trying to figure out how he could keep them as limited as possible so if he was a spy they would be muscling him with that that information so he would he you know he just like he could have been the spy but like i never really suspect like the whole spy thing never really stuck in my head i was never really like you know wa- watching on it because nobody really felt like it you know or at, a, at any point so it was it was strange. I never really like connected with that element of the story and and did it. But I just yeah, Doza just seems he just seems like I mean his character seems decent from the get go. You know even the the even though you know he's the authority figure there and they sort of present him and at first as like you know a little tiny figure way up high in the tower and stuff. As soon as he starts talking, you're just like, okay, this guy's like dec- a decent human. At least in my opinion. So my next note is, um, so I, I just like how this is a... 
I, I'm trying to figure out the best way how to word this. I guess, like, a really good way to for a younger audience to, like, present, like, refugees and in genocide because like that's that's what i like so much about resistance is how it does out of any of the animated shows like really truly mirrors our real world um ayla and kel are you know like what makes them so wanted by the first order is they were witness to like this horrible first order deeds and the living witnesses can talk and um, I, I just thought that was a really good way to present it to to see the story through their eyes. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's funny. Remember we were talking about early on that this was the the first one in uh, peacetime, and refugees. I mean, it mirrors our time. But then I was like, well, Star Wars, it's wars, so there's always refugees during wars. But this is a peacetime show. But now refugees are starting to show up. And it's at the beginning. That's why they don't want them to get out, because if the First Order is wiping out people, the longer they can keep it on the. So it's it's just a great way of showing that they're in the in the early phase where they think they can still keep it, keep a You know, they're trying to keep a lid on it as much as possible before they just, you know, go out and wipe people out like the Empire used to, you know. So you're just getting the first, we got our first mention of Kylo Ren and a couple refugees creeping onto it. So it's, so the edges of war are just starting to show up the first little warning signs of, of trouble, mm-hmm. I was thinking, of violence happening somewhere else. And I was thinking kind of like back to the last few shows, um, cause we see a little bit of refugee stuff, like mostly through Padme and Clone Wars where she's just like, but the refugees and like, you know, like my people, like these people are dying and we have to take care of them. And we see a little bit of in like, I, I think like pretty much the first episode of Rebels where they go to Tarkin town and you see like the refugees of Lothal that have been kind of like hidden away. But oh, we yeah. never and, really... uh, and what's his name? And um, Zeb's people and, I yeah. mean, Clone, Clone Wars had the story with the the two troopers and the little girl, and uh, Tuka she, was that it? Tuka? Yeah, Tuka doll. Well, her name was. Oh, Numa. she had a Tuka doll. Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, but we don't spend time with them, you know. Like, well, no, we, yeah, we have, no. Which is what makes Kayla, uh, Kayla, Kel and Ayla so so interesting because we're with them for the rest of the season. And because we're with them for the rest of the show, like we see how like what happens when you lose your home and having to integrate into a new place and what that means. And we get to like explore that story that hasn't really been delved into too much in Star Wars for a long period of time, other than just like little touches and stuff like that. And like pretty much these two children are orphans and have to readjust their entire lives. And that's such it's kind of a unique story in Star Wars um, of like how refugees have to pretty much just change everything now. Yeah, they're just there. They don't, they have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. But that's all I had for Act 2. Did you have anything else? Uh, no, I'll be ready for Act 3. I got some notes on Act 3 about the sea urchins and their fate. All right. Well, Act 3... Our heroes have to get out of there. Oh, where am I? Oh, yeah, because they're running away from Pyre. <laughs> I was like, what happened? <laughs> Act 3! Our heroes have to get out of there really fast because Pyre's on the case. And Cass gets an idea. He's like, remember like two episodes ago, I got trapped in a box and shoved down a chute for a comedic effect? And Niku is like, none of us were with you at that time, Kaz. And Kaz was like, cool, 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 come on! 
and Kill is spotted as they all dive into the chute with the First Order hot on their trail. And they get into in the engineering level and BB-8 seals the door, but that won't hold the First Order for long as they start cutting through it. They only have a little bit of time to think of a plan. As Niku treats Ayla, Kaz asks why the First Order wants these kids so bad. And the kids don't know why, but, you know, they're living witnesses to a genocide, so as long as they're alive, they're never going to be safe. And Kaz is like, I know what I have to do. We gotta kill you, then. And everyone's confused, because they're like, kill, kill the children? What? And Kaz gets one of the grates off the floor, with only water, with only the water of Castellan far, 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 far below. And everyone is still really confused. But there's no time! The First Order has cut through the door and moves in. Empire shoves through the shell folk and finds Kel and Ayla. And not one for pleasantries, Pyre's like, Come with me if you want to live. And Kel goes, Never! And he and Ayla jumps into the hole. And Pyre runs over in time to see two splashes in the ocean below. And as they scan for life signs, just as Captain Phasma of Tarth happens to be calling, Empire answers the call to confirm that the kids are dead. And Phasma of Tarth is like, Excellent! The name Tehar will fade from existence. I surely hope you're not in a room full of turtle folk who can clearly understand Galactic Basic as we talk about our evil plans that don't want to fall into Republic hands in front of them. That would be awful! Come home back to base now and let's be evil together! And the turtle folk are like, We better report that. That sounds really important. But because they're turtles, by the time they get the message to the New Republic, trust has already come out and it doesn't matter anymore. Anyway, the turtle folk look down at the hole. And there are Niku, Kaz, and the kids from Tahar, with some more of the shell folk who had staged the entire thing. The people who fell into the water were two turtle folk who, out of, uh, who we found out earlier, can slow down their heart rates. And the kids are now safe, and the shell folk offered their home and engineering for the kids to live. And to make sure Kaz gets his cake and eats it too, the shell folk have also fixed Tam's very expensive thingy, which started off the episode in the first place. And Tam is really happy about that. She's surprised that Kel, uh, Kaz got it done, and playfully asks what other secrets Kaz is keeping from her. And Kaz is like, ah, no secrets here. I'm not a spy. Who said anything about a spy? Okay, I'm going now. Bye. And Kaz goes over to the communication era area, which I'm guessing Yeager has set up for him safely to, for reasons. I would hope that he's not using a local payphone. And Elo Asti from the sequel trilogy answers, and Kaz is like, oh, aw, you're, you're not as pretty as Poe. And Elo is like, I'm actually quite the hunk of mug my people, you jerk. You hurt my feelings. And Kaz is like, anyway, I have some news. And he tells Elo about Tahar being destroyed, which Elo replies it must be a planet out in the unknown regions, because he's never heard of it. But when Kaz brings up Kylo Ren, Elo says that Princess Leia General Organa, Princess Leia General Organa, <laughs> General Leia Organa, uh, would love to know that information because, you know, that's her baby boy causing destruction out in the universe. And Elo says that Poe thinks a lot of Kaz, and Kaz is like, oh my god, Poe likes me! And he lives on that compliment for the next week. The end. What'd you think of Act 3? I liked it. Um, I noticed, like, early, like, as, like, in Rebels... 
there's a lot of less lethalness in in this. There's a lot of stormtroopers firing stun bolts early on in this. And last episode they up up to regular laser bolts, but a lot of there's a lot of like getting chased by stun bolts at first. Um, the first order gets their Elvis moment with the first order has left the platform. <laughs> um, okay. So this is this is this is something I know they're introducing these kids as ongoing characters, but I I would have expected Kaz to be like, hey, we got these two kids here. Do, do you want to send somebody after them? You know, do it. You know, because like for one, those kids would be a source of intel for the first for the for the resistance and the resistance as. The good guys <laughs> might want to help them with relocation, and they might be a really good, uh, really good. Uh, I mean, this is maybe being a little cynical about it, but they'd be a really good political tool to go to the Senate and say, like, look, here's two witnesses to a genocide, <laughs> you know, and keep them safe. <laughs> keep them, although they're arguably safer being anonymous because they they're they're thought dead so if they turn up at the senate and stuff all of a sudden they would be targets again but but or the or the resistance could just like get them to a foster home or something you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah but i i was surprised that that uh or have kaz suggest that and then they were going look we don't we don't know what to do with kids or something like that but they just didn't he mentioned them as you know we have these two kids here and blah 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 here's the intel but boy there's a lot of questions more things that you could question those kids (laughs) for about you know how they did it and you know what what they saw and 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 all that so i was i was very surprised that they didn't they didn't cover that but uh remember did did Cass mention the kids to Ella, or did he just say we heard about this planet being destroyed? I can't remember. Yeah, no, he mentioned he said specifically. Something, I think okay. He said, I think he specifically said there's two kids here whose people were wiped out on, okay. on the planet, uh, and and uh, but that was it. And then he was like, oh, good intel, but you know, it it didn't go further than that. But it would have been like, you know, we're sending someone along to pick them up, you know, and make sure they're safe, you know, because that yeah. was what Cass seemed really concerned about was the kids' safety. And one of them has a broken leg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's all I got really for this episode. Um, I only really have one other note, and it's more of a story structure note. Um, but I something I really like about the show is how they take comedic bits, but they then turn them into later plot use because uh, it, it also really helps with Cass's development, like like the shoots. Um, in the second episode, I believe it was, Kaz fell down one of the shoots as a slapstick bit. But now he's learned to use that as a plot point and he uses it to get away. And we see that again in the finale of this episode. Because earlier in the episode, Kaz was like, oh my god, that turtle folk is dead. Oh my god. But that's where he learned that they can actually lower their heart rate. And it was played for laughs earlier, but it's what helps him form the plan to help save yeah. the kids. And I, and I think that's a really cool element where... The things that are normally written off for jokes, but they're actually ways that Kaz is learning and growing. And I like that they're not just got, throwaway bits. It's actually you got to be. Yeah, you got to be economic when you only got 22 minutes. You might as well tie everything up, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's all I have. 
Ready to score it up? Sure, score it up, Chris. I gave it an 8.5. I hey, like this episode tied. a lot. I like this episode a lot. This is a lot of, I, it, you know, it's the, like what we've been talking about, the whole thing, the whole appeal, like that my, like my biggest appeal of this is just the world of the, of the station. And this one, I especially like knowing about the, un, you know, the underside of the state, the, the station is side of, is kind of an underside of Star Wars and then the underside of the underside. And then, you know, instead of having a bunch of dirty, like beer swilling, like, you know, like you would expect down in the, you know, shoveling coal into the engines or whatever, you know, you have these, these weird turtle people and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really cool. I just, I just like, I'm just very, I, I'm, you know, I mean, that's one of the good, good things about a good, um, piece of drama or something is it makes you want to like hang out in that world and i would like like i would be very i would be very happy hanging out in some situation like the the station and and the way they they present and you know this this one really went a long way to like building the atmosphere and giving you even more um insight into it so i liked it a lot i absolutely can see you hanging out with turtle folk yeah, I would be down there with the turtle folk all the time. <laughs> when he's like, oh, it's dirty down here. I'm like, ah, it's not that dirty. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like this. I love this episode. I, I think I like last week slightly more because I like how what it says more about like the structure of the world and stuff. But uh, this episode is just another example of how it showcases real world issues with like genocide and refugees through Kel and Ayla. We're continuing to see Kaz grow in the show. I just, the more I think about it, this is a really good Niku episode because it really showcases why Niku is a really strong character and like his best traits. And plus the show folk are just really awesome and they're cool and they're an amazing design. It's something new and I really enjoy the Chelidae. Um, So I also gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Well, as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. This week, our feedback comes from the Two True Freaks Facebook page for our episode, Old Friends Not Forgotten, a.k.a. The Start of the Siege of Mandalore. Just so you know, Chris, these are two different conversations, and they're separated by the line. Yep. All right. This first one's between Gene and Mike Zumo, and I think, right? No, no. Yep. Yep, you did not... It's Gene, and I, I thought you might have, I, for some reason, I thought you might have thrown your two cents in there, but you did not. Yeah, I get I'm to further do, down. I get to, I get to do the Hope voice later. Uh, okay, so Gene, uh, we're talking about Siege of Mandalore. Gene says, they did something that contradicted the novels, and I don't like that. Been there, done that. That's basically the feeling of everyone that was invested in the EU when the prequels came out. Mike Zuma said, when you decide everything is connected, you run into this. And Gene says, true. Of course, it was all connected and supervised by Lucasfilm until 1999. And Mike says, but there's always a no- knowledge that the movies will likely trump everything else. Did people really think Lucas were to do the sequels? He was going to stay loyal to the EU. There's a hierarchy based on audience. I agree. Most people, most people see the movies, less people see TV, and that's been used to great effect. Even fewer people read the novels, so expect TV and movies to adhere to every minute details that a novel is ludicrous. Gene says, 
I never said that I was upset about it, just that it happened before. Remember, there wasn't even the slightest possibility that there would be more Star Wars movies when the EU was in full force. Add to that the cross-pollination between the novels, comics, and video games, and it was a great, cohesive whole. I do admire when I saw the trailer with Darth Maul igniting the second blade, and I was hopeful there would be some mention of Exar Kun. <laughs> Dream on, Gene. But that did not come to pass. Would it have been nice if George used all that history as a jumping-off point for his story? Yup. Was it probably ever going to happen? Not really. I would still have liked that, though, especially since, like I said, there was a real continuity starting at the Zahn trilogy that was overseen by Lucasfilm. Presumably with input by George Lucas at various points. I don't know. I think George Lucas said he didn't read the novels and didn't really care <laughs> at some point. Um, I, and, last week I found out how much he hates Mara Jade and I didn't know. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, there's there's even gag reels of him yelling at people during. Uh, there, it was a robot chicken sketch. There's all, there's gag reels of actual George Lucas, like, you know, setting it. It's all set up, but he's yelling at somebody yeah. who brings up Mara Jade. And it's Mike a robot said, chicken sketch. <laughs> and Mike said, I didn't mean you specifically, just a general attitude among the people that immerse themselves in everything and the tendency to sometimes get hung up on connectiv connectivity. Maybe I've seen enough reboots that I know not to get too attached, even if the old EU as it grew kind of tripped over its own continuity from time to time, especially when they tried to fill gaps. I don't know when the Bad Batch is supposed to be set, but I think it's time to move away from the Clone Wars and times between the prequels and the original trilogy. I'd like to see something filling the gaps between the original trilogy and sequel trilogy, specifically what that original character, what the original characters got up to. That's going to be rough, though, with actor-wise. I want to see those arcs, and it has to be animated because I can't bear anyone to see anyone else play Luke, Han, or Leia. That's, yeah, that would be about how I would have to deal with it. Okay, so now on to a sec separate, separate thread with Diego Lemos. Says, I have a lot to say, so bear with me. One, I understand how Ahsoka feels toward the Jedi Order after what happened in Season 5 and in the last arc where she's soft where she saw firsthand their indifference with the common folk. Well, where she saw firsthand their indifference with the common folk. Of course, Anakin is no exception, and the, and is very heartwarming to see their reunion. Oh no, of course, Anakin is the exception, and is very heartwarming to see the reunion. Now here comes a big long one. It's not that long. I really don't like Bo-Katan as a person. Guilt tripping someone into a war you started is not justifiable. Yeah, Bo-Katan is not. <laughs> A, uh, is a is a spiky character for sure. Did no one tell her that Satine was a target of Death Watch? To the second in command, knowing Previsla would have killed Satine either way, he, he he hated her more than Maul ever did. Maul only wanted to hurt Obi Wan. That's true. So either Bo knew that and she didn't care, which makes her a psychopath using her sister's death as an asset, or she didn't. And she was just another brainwashed tool, fooled by Vizsla's ideology and the Dark Saber's cultural value. And Hope says, it made me wonder how much Bo knew of Pre Vizsla's plans. I think she 100% disagreed with her sister and wanted to remove her from power. But I don't think Bo ever wanted her sister to die. And Diego says, I know that she technically didn't want to form the Shadow Collective, but begrudgingly followed orders and is still following orders. 
this was a prime excuse in the Nuremberg trials. Yes, it was the old, the old we didn't want to do, we didn't want to, but we have to. Yes, it was. Hope says, I need to go back and brush up on those episodes for sure, but I know Maul is breaking point between her and Vizsla. She never wanted Maul. I think she wanted to remove Satine and at most imprison her, but never have her killed. To me, Satine's death was Bo's wake up call of what the hell am I doing? And it was made to, and it, and it's what made her want to clean up her mistakes, aka the siege of Mandalore. It's in no way justifying what she did at all, but it could be the emotional context. Diego says I agree, but the parallels just don't end there. She has a fundamentally nationalistic ideology. She's a Mandalorian. She claims she wants to return Mandalore to their warrior ways, but only if a Mandalorian is in the head of the planet. Fair enough, but the but then reject the winner of the trial by combat, one of the traditions she wanted to institute back just because she, because he isn't a Mandalorian, makes me wonder what she would do if Din got the lightsaber. We the know dark now! Saber. <laughs> Guess so, yeah. Well, we can't I hope so. It's funny because we, we clearly uh, recorded this like well before that uh, the final episode of The Mandalorian came out in season two. So like we now know what her reaction would be. Yeah, 100%. Hope says, oh, absolutely. She is a, absolutely a character of contradictions and very hypocritical until it meets what she wants. We saw that in her episode of The Mandalorian. And Diego says, the truth is I love her as a character, but hate her as a person. Maybe because my country has very similar politicians to start as a terrorist, end as a senator, and people just don't care based on their political alignment. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. But this, but these are the things that make the Star Wars universe so compelling. That's true. Yeah, it makes Star Wars compelling. I wish it wasn't so much in our real world. So. Yeah, well, that's where we get our stories from. So I hope I can taste candy this week. <laughs> Um, I don't care what we do. Oh, really? Yeah. We don't have a lot, so. You want to do the kitty cat Kit Kat? Yeah, let's do the kitty cat Kit Kat. So, if you don't know what we're doing, Chris hates American Kit Kats because he's a weirdo. So, our friend Dario sends us Kit Kats from all over the world to review. And this week, it is the Japanese Iyokan Kit Kat, which has a kitty on the pat. And Ooh, and it's orange cat flavored. Mandarin orange flavor. Orange cat flavor. <laughs> I hope I'm not eating an orange cat. Oh, it's got like fur oh. in the chocolate of it. Maybe you're oh. supposed to lick it. Smell it. It smells like oranges. It smells like a creamsicle. Yeah. Oh. It tastes like a creamsicle. Oh my god. I still can't taste chocolate. It tastes like an orange creamsicle. It's delicious. I can, I can taste it more oh, than hope I hope you don't know what you're missing. Um, mm. oh, I can taste it better than I could taste last week's, but I still can't fully taste sweets with this prescription mouthwash I'm on. It's one of the more... The Kit Kats where you can taste the tart and citrusy really strongly. It's good. I can taste the citrus. It's just sugar I can't taste. So I can taste the tartness of it. Um... Mm. And I can taste the orange, but thank you, Dario. Mm. Delicious. Mm. 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 Well, 
did you have anything else from the children of Tahar? Not me. All right. Well, neither do I. So where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's our website. You can find this podcast and about, oh, 60 other podcasts on there. Since like 2008, 2009, they've been piling up. And they're still piling up by the day, dozens every week. And that's at twotruefreaks.com. You can sign up for our RSS feeds there for either the whole shebang or like individual shows. You can sign up on iTunes. You can find us on Facebook, where all of our reader mail came from this week. So if you go find the Two True Freaks page on Facebook, where we post our episodes, you can get in on the chatter and uh, talk to us and have us read your letters on the show. And maybe even I'll come up with a voice for you if you're, if you're voice worthy. Um, we also have the Two True Freaks Cantina, which is more of a hangout place. And we are also on Twitter. And I don't get my fingers into that Twitter stuff because it would be too evil. But luckily we have Gene Gene. The podcasting machine. And he runs our Twitter feed for us, so I don't have to. But, um, that's about, that's about it for me. Where can they find you, Hope? You can find me at JGuysAndJedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at HopeMolinex. I also have my website, uh, geekgirlexperience.com, where I write all sorts of reviews, and I've written a lot about Resistance, including like what I think would be good spin-offs, how to implement them in, more into the current canon. I've written about Kaz's trauma. Um, what I, I've written about how I love that... It's called Friends Without Benefits and like the importance of friendships in the show and the lack of romance. Um, I, I've written a lot about Resistance, so... Um, you can check that out at geekgirlexperience.com. And we also have a podcast for that website, which is called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, where I make Chris watch our my favorite animated shows. And right now, we're about to finish up Gravity Falls. By the time this comes out, we might be in this three-part finale by the time we, this we comes might out. Be fi- yeah, we, might, we, we won't be finished up by the time this comes we, out. We might but... be going just into the three-part finale. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to be doing Avatar The Last Airbender after that. And... Yeah, that's about where you can find me. So, like, we'll be recording going into the finale. We won't even be releasing it at that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say, uh, we're starting to get... We have a lot of fun guests planned for this show. And we're getting close to our very first guest, which is two weeks from now. So, to give you a little hint, he's one of the hosts of Into the Spider Casts. Um... So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited for all of our guests for this show. So, me too. I should, I need to send him a reminder message that we're two weeks out. (laughs) So, yeah. So, uh, I don't have anything else. Do you? No. What are, what's next week's episode? I have this pulled up. (gasps) We're going to get the intro. Well, the full first intro of Sonara next week, my pirate mom. Mm. Pirate mom on the mommy list. You know, you guys, I have a daddy list, but I also have Sonara a Sonara I don't know who the evolution's going to be, to be so honest, because the thing is, I love so many characters of the show, but... Pick a turtle and have turtle tales and tell it from the turtle's point of view. Can you imagine me just for 20 minutes just going like... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
So you got you do turtle tails like season one. No, no, no. Everybody's yeah. putting it on like quadruple speed. Yeah, and like that's why it's so funny because I I don't actually have really a favorite character of resistance because I love everybody for different reasons. There's there's not a character in this show that I hate except for Jace Rucklin because he's that bitch. But even then, like I love hating Rucklin because he actually is a really good character in the series. I just I so I love to hate Rucklin. He's kind of like Dolores Umbridge, like Ruckvolution. I I have no. <laughs> No, that's not happening. Although we um, could have, you could have had a rock evolution in uh, in Rebels too. My God, I could have been just like, and then that bitch cat is like completely ruined my day. <laughs> I, I I don't know who I'm gonna get the evolution on to be really really honest with you, just because Kaz I... is too ma- main of a character. It seems it seems like you get somebody like it's better to have somebody who's like a main character but a sideline character. So to they're do getting commentary. It. That's, that's, yeah, that's so the they're getting point. it from the side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like I, I like Cal. That's why I I'm just... a firm believer of the Niku evolution because I know it would I know be it... fun to hear it in Niku's voice too. I'm not not sure. literally. You don't have to do a Niku impression, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know because that, that's what was so much fun about Callus. Because like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love Callus, and he's one of my favorite characters of Rebels. But he's not like my favorite character of Rebels. Right. But he's just on that fringe to be able to comment on right. both the Empire and the Rebel stuff. Right. Um. So I, I honestly, I have no idea because th- there's not a character I hate in this show. I, I love everybody, and so like maybe I should do like Op Pet, like you know, like the floor cleaner guy, or. Or Bulls of Gruel, the Gruel, the Gorg salesman. I'm because... a I'm a I'm a Flork Evolution booster too. <laughs> wow, you just reminded me something of Once Upon a Time, like eight years ago. <laughs> sure. When when Captain Hook first came into the show for like most of season two, he got knocked out multiple times, so he's on the floor. So people started making a fake ship, which was Hook in the floor, and it was called Fluk. Oh, jeez. It was the Fluk ship, and it was a joke. But <laughs> it was just he got knocked out so much in season two and season three that people were like shipping it, Captain Hook with the floor. <laughs> Captain Hook's face in the floor. Pretty much, yeah. I, I actually have a gif that someone made of him face down on the floor saying, I love you, floor. <laughs> That I will never use again because I have no reason to use it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Like I, I gotta feel it out. But yeah, our our first. This guest reminding me of one of my one of my few ventures at poetry, my ode to a sidewalk. Uh, oh. oh, sidewalk! You make me proud. A handy thing to walk around. Something, something. You're on the ground. A handy item all around, or something like that. I really hope it says something something in it. No, it doesn't. I just don't remember. I'd have to look it up. I would I would love to see a poem written. I'm sure there's one out there because I'm not a, a po- I'm not a poet. I don't claim to be, and I'm sure somebody has been like trying to remember. Like, I was walking at the store, something something, and then this happened, something something, and then they published it, and everyone was like, "It's brilliant." Poetry. Then you're a poet. And you don't know it. Yeah. But your feet show it because they're Longfellows. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that's a grandpa joke from like my grandpa. Chris, that's hilarious. Yeah, it was back in 1934 too. <laughs> Cause that's where it originated, probably somewhere around there. I have to remember that because actually Longfellow is my mom's favorite poet and she quotes him all the time and I need to remember that because I'm seeing my mom in a month. Your I mom's need... probably old enough to, to have gotten that one from her grandfather. Probably not because I don't know. I don't know if my, my mom ever met her grandparents actually. Somebody old. Somebody she heard old. somebody old. So. Maybe her, her aunt because she was very close with her aunt. Um... I was almost named after that aunt, Leona. My name was almost Leona. Almost. Anyway, guys, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.